Welcome to Data Protection Gumbo, the podcast where we cook up a delicious blend of cybersecurity, privacy, and data protection topics to serve you a hearty bowl of insights. Whether you like your gumbo spicy with a dash of encryption or prefer a milder flavor with a side of compliance, we've got you covered. So grab a spoon, sit back, and let's dive into the pot of data protection gumbo. Welcome to another episode of Data Protection Gumbo. I'm your host, Demetrius Malbro, and on this episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with John Tour. He's the Chief Marketing Officer at Cloudian, a supplier of S3 compatible storage software for the hybrid cloud. Prior to Cloudian, John served as VP of Marketing at Brocade, VP of Marketing at Cygo Systems, among others. So John, welcome to the gumbo. How are you? Demetrius, hey, it is great to be with you today. Awesome. Looking forward to this conversation and just really enjoy having conversations about storage and all different types of storage. But before we we jump into storage, inform us around some of the cool things that that you've been doing uh, over at Cloudian in the last several months. Yeah, no, it's, it's a very exciting time in the industry because we're, we're really starting to see the concept of hybrid cloud take off. And, that, and that's really something that's happening right now. You know, if you, if you go back a couple of years, storage was very much an on-prem solution or a cloud solution. And those two really didn't meet too much. But we're really designed for that intersection. We're, we're designed for that space where the cloud and on-prem come together. And to make that happen, you need a storage environment that's going to provide you the same kind of operational characteristics in both worlds. If you're operating applications and workflows in the cloud and you want to operate those same applications and workflows on-prem, you're going to need a a similar type of storage environment to do that with. And that means similar operating rules, similar protocols. Really, it's going to look and feel the same. And that's exactly what we do. That that concept is now what people are referring to as the hybrid cloud. And we're, we're seeing that really start to come to light. Okay, hybrid cloud, which means that you can, I guess, operate whether it's on-prem or in any public cloud, vice versa. So that's kind of a mashup of being in the cloud, public cloud, private cloud, or on-prem. Is that is that correct? Exactly. Think think of it as being you know the uh, you know data portability, data mobility, application mobility between these two worlds. Having them look and operate the same way, such that you can run the same applications either place. I mean, we we saw the same type of thing happen in the in the in the data center world. When we worked, you remember the era when we went from a decentralized data center where everything was out out in you know the desktop, back to a centralized data center environment. The the, the centralized data center became Windows, and that that allowed you to operate the same applications in the data center as you're operating on the on the work floor. Well, that same thing is happening in cloud and on-prem now. You're operating the the same types of applications in both places. A great example of this would be uh, outposts from Amazon. You know, that, that is a, an example of a cloud infrastructure that operates in your, in your well, anywhere. It could be in, your, in a retail facility or it could be in a clinic. Uh, outposts brings the cloud into uh, that local location, but it brings the compute portion of it. For that storage portion, you wanna have a, a storage environment that's also very cloud-like. And that's what we do. We provide an S3 compatible cloud that you can deploy anywhere. So you can run 
the exact same software, any software that's written to operate with S3 in the public cloud can operate with S3 APIs in your private cloud. And that private cloud is what we do. Okay, awesome. And I also see a, a lot of information nowadays around just the automation of pro, of processes. Uh, Chat GPT is hot, obviously, and what OpenAI is doing in Microsoft. And everyone's jumping in to build or use a plug-in to do something slick and cool around artificial intelligence. What are you seeing overall just from an AI and ML perspective as it pertains to uh, storage? Well, certainly that's going to be a huge driver of, of storage consumption because these language models are are clearly going to proliferate and you know, the size and scope of those is is massive. I mean, we, we, we've seen the investment that Microsoft has put into chat GPT, some of which is obviously for compute. A lot of it's going to be also for storage. That's going to proliferate. And we expect to see increasing storage demand across the landscape. We've actually been an investor in this space for some time. We have a company that we are affiliated with us that has actually been in the AI space for some years now. And it's something that we're very, very interested in. It's not the primary driver of what we do today, but it certainly is going to be a growing driver as these models proliferate. Awesome. Yeah. And it, it's an exciting time to really be in this digital transformation space. And like I mentioned, a AI is just a super fascinating topic right now. And I, I've been playing around with, with chat GPT uh, on different levels. I'm not worried that it's going to take my job at all. And I, I'm, I'm I'm hoping that you're not worried that it's going to take your job as well. Well, but. yeah. No, we're we're not. We're, we're really excited about is you know the the cloud technology is is more than just a a particular provider. You know, cloud technology is not just a particular hyperscaler environment. Cloud technology is a way of doing things, and it's these use cases that are associated with that that really drive the changes in the storage industry. You know, the tectonic shifts, uh, and that's really what's exciting is that cloud is it to us. It represents a different scope of operations. And by that, I mean, you know, the cloud APIs allow you to do so much in managing data across large geographic swaths, right? That's what the cloud is great for, is it? It creates a storage environment, which is now multidimensional. It can go across regions. You know, it can grow in size, essentially limitlessly. And that's not something that's possible with traditional block or file storage. I mean, that those storage infrastructures simply weren't designed to do that. Object storage, which is what we do, was designed to do exactly that. It was designed to go across multiple regions. It was designed to grow essentially limitlessly in scale. And that's what our customers are doing with our products right now. They're, de they're deploying Cloudian in dozens of sites around the world, all of which are interconnected. They're growing to storage environments that could grow up to hundreds of petabytes today with you know exabyte scalability, you know, right around the corner. And we're seeing them use these in ways which are extremely cloud-like, but it's private, right? It's yeah. within their own environment. And that's that's really an important topic today is data residency, data sovereignty. Uh, the ability to run your own cloud and keep con complete control of your data, that's really topical right now. I mean, we've seen the growth of this demand over the past few years just grow exponentially. 
and we've seen a great we see a great example of this right now with with TikTok, right? I mean, the, this mm. huge project they're running called Project Texas is all about data sovereignty. You know, it's making sure that the user data for United States users stays in the United States. Well, we've been working with that exact same issue in EMEA for years now, and they've been very concerned about data sovereignty all over EMEA. Uh, we're seeing that same concern grow now here in America, and the answer to it is. You can run your own cloud, and in the data, you have complete control over it. It's going to stay exactly where you want it to stay, and it's entirely under your sovereignty, your control, your regulation, your jurisdiction. Okay, yeah, uh, data sovereignty, data residency, and you have to stay compliant when it, within all of the regulations that are out there, GDPR and California has CCPA, and not to mention what the financial services industry have with PCI DSS and Sarbanes-Oxley, SOX, uh, SEC 17A-4. And I mean, we could get really intricate and we could probably have a an hour or two hour long conversation just on compliance alone. But I, I want to mention and go into a little bit around security and ransomware obviously is at the top of that list. It's proliferated and it's grown tremendously over the last few years. What are, what conversations are you having with C-level executives just around protecting or maybe even the ability to keep that data safe or even recover from a, a ransomware attack? Well, you're absolutely right. Ransomware protection has been one of the biggest concerns that we've seen uh, for the last three years. Really, on the, on the start of COVID was where the ransomware issue started really growing exponentially. It was obviously around before that, but ransomware, two things happened. First of all, the technology made it a lot easier for the scammers to execute ransomware schemes. The second thing that happened was that people started working from home and that just made them more vulnerable to phishing attacks, right? You, you can't just turn to the person sitting next to you and say, hey, what about this email that you just sent me? Is this legit? <laughs> that person isn't sitting next mm -hmm. to you anymore. So we saw phishing yeah. attacks start getting, um, A, a lot more effective, uh, and, and B, a lot greater in number. So ransomware really took off. So th the other piece uh, uh, around that was, it was very important, was that if about a year prior to that, this uh, data immutability protocol called Object Lock became um, not a standard, but it became a, a, an AWS command that provided management of data immutability within an S3 compatible environment. So we implemented object lock. And what this did was it gave people a, a data immutability solution that was easy to implement. And what data immutability does is it makes your data unchangeable such that it's impervious to the most common form of ransomware, which is data encryption, right? The, the scammer comes in, encrypts your data. To gain access to it, you need to pay him for the key. Well, if he can't encrypt the data to start with, your data is safe. There's you're never going to be there's never going to be a ransom payment because you can always recover your data in an unencrypted format from your backup copy, and that's uh, that's really been a, a lifesaver for so many of our customers. You know, they we have we don't know of a single customer using our object lock solution that's ever had to pay ransom, and why would they? Right, the data can never be encrypted. Excuse me. Uh, well, you can encrypt it to prevent theft, <laughs> but the scammer cannot encrypt 
to prevent you from accessing. Yeah, immutability <laughs> is is yeah. So it's really that's a it's a, a two step solution. Yeah, immutability is huge, and you've got data encryption that you got data encryption that prevents you from you know, from data from being stolen from you, and then and then uh, uh, you know sold on the open market. And you can prevent prevent that scammer from coming in and encrypting your data by using uh, data. And it's all self-managing. That's the beauty of it is with object lock, uh, the, the management of those backup copies that are made immutable is transparent to you. It's just part of your standard backup workflow. So it's easy and, and it doesn't cost any more than... Yeah than doing it the old-fashioned way. So the protection costs you essentially nothing. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you've been around for a while, so you've you've seen different types of data protection architectures. And, you know, at one, one point it was zero trust and, you know, don't trust or do not trust anyone within the environment. They have to authenticate themselves and just uh, kind of the overall layout of the way environments are architected. And things are just changing very rapidly now, especially post-COVID. Uh, I want to ask you about direct-to-object and how that has entered the scene. And, and how does that help users? Maybe you can give us some more details around, you know, maybe the benefits or the pros and cons of writing direct-to-object to storage. Yeah, direct object is a, is a relatively new thing, but we're expecting this to become the way everyone operates. And the reason for this is, you know, obviously data, data protection is always a multi-tier environment. You're going to have multiple copies of your data residing in uh, different places frequently. What direct to object does is it allows you to use object storage for any of the tiers within the backup environment. So previously, that, that first tier where the data would land would usually be you know, a, a block or file storage environment. And then it would be tiered off to a object storage environment or to the cloud in a subsequent step. The, the challenge is that block or file is, it can be a very large environment and can be pretty costly to operate. You know, the, the, the costs of those traditional storage solutions are often twice or more the cost of an object storage solution. So if you can use object storage for that first tier, you can save money on the overall environment. And secondly, you can reduce complexity because now you've got a the same type of storage on your primary as you have on your secondary. So you're only operating one type of storage across your environment. And that's exactly what direct object does. It allows you to use that object storage for the primary tier and for any other tier so it simplifies the backup workflow, it reduces the cost, and what it also means is now that primary layer can also have object lock. So you're now moving your data into an environment where it's protected from ransomware immediately, right? At, first, at very first stop, you can have it be protected from ransomware. So it adds security, it takes away cost, it increases simplicity. It's really a, a win-win and um, the thing that's made this possible is, you know, object storage is fast. You know, people were, were resistant to using object storage for that primary tier because there was a perception that object storage wasn't as, as quick as other types of storage. Reality is, in a, in a backup workflow, it can be just as fast or faster than any other type. You can, matter of fact, you can operate it with flash memory if you prefer, you know, for that extra margin of speed but it provides plenty of performance to operate as a primary tier. 
we've had several customers go off and do this on their own in independent of the you know the backup vendors enabling this and they've achieved magnificent cost savings and they've proven the performance themselves i think we've got 60 or 70 customers already deployed with v12 as part within our operating environment and they're proving these results every day so the thing is object storage is 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 fast it can be even faster if you want to go with an all flash type solution which which we offer and now you can use that same storage environment across multiple tiers. And the other thing that's really exciting about this is when you're using object storage as one of your tiers, one thing that's built in to our environment is, is data replication across sites, cross-region data replication. And what that means is you can write to a Cloudian site A and have that data be automatically replicated to Cloudian site B which can be located in a, you know, a few miles away or a few hundred miles away it, it, to whatever fulfills your data uh, requirement, data protection requirements. So we can also fulfill your need to have multiple sites within a single simplified process. So it's a way of bringing that cost down, bringing this, you know, adding more simplicity and adding more data security at the same time. All right. And so, uh, John, if you were having a, a conversation with a, uh, a CIO or maybe even a C CEO and they were just on the fence and they were kind of cost conscious about they're spending too much money with storing data in the cloud here and there and the, the total cost of ownership. And they were really leery about that. What, what would you say to them to convince them to move forward with I guess the uh, proposal of purchasing more object storage. Well, I think I think the the, the simplest pitch is that we'll we'll save you money. Um, you know, we our our operating costs total, including you know uh, the the cost of our software plus the hardware plus uh, you know the operating costs of the environment are well under a, a penny per gigabyte per month. You know, the, the question always is, you know, what fits your use case? What fits your particular workload? If your data is being generated on-prem or you're using that data primarily on-prem, there's a good chance that an on-prem storage solution will be your best bet. And what it really boils down to is, what's your workload like? You know, how, how predictable is your workload? Nice thing about storage is it usually is fairly predictable, right? People accumulate yeah. data; they rarely delete data, mm -hmm. <laughs> and so as a result, your workload is fairly predictable, and that makes a, a great, you know, candidate for an on-prem solution. The the question then becomes, where is that data being generated, and where is it actually being used? If if those are on-prem, you definitely should cost out, you know, the the an on-prem solution and compare it. The other thing that's exciting about this is really, it's not an either or decision. You know, that's the beauty of, a, of an S3 compatible on-prem on storage system is it operates in conjunction with the cloud. So you can store data on-prem and tier it off to the cloud. You can store data in the cloud and, and, and migrate it to on-prem S3 compatible. You're not really making a permanent decision about how you're going to operate your infrastructure. You're simply saying, I'm operating, I'm opening up another opportunity, right? I'm opening up an opportunity to run a cloud-like infrastructure in my own data center, or my own colo. And in many cases, we expect customers will be doing that in conjunction with the cloud, just as they have traditionally, right? People have always operated data centers in multiple locations. 
They may have data, you know, small data centers uh, in, uh, in facilities, which are retail stores or clinics um, or hospitals. In many cases, those have operated in conjunction with larger data somewhere, centers somewhere else. That's exactly what's going on here. People will operate you know, on-prem clouds for a certain set of workloads. They could well use those in conjunction with a, a hyperscaler, which is located somewhere else. It all just depends on what that particular workload is. But you know, we, we provide that local storage, which, which gives you, you know, data sovereignty. It gives you the, uh, the low latency, again, which, where is your use case? And in many cases, it will, it will save you money as well. Well, awesome. And one final question: what What's on your nightstand, or what's what are you reading in your your iPad or your device? I, I, I've been reading a lot about AI lately. You know, mostly in, in articles and and uh, things like that. But uh, you know, obviously, this is a subject of, of great interest right now, as you already as you already okay. said. Uh, we already see it having, as you said, an impact in the in the storage world, how people are consuming the storage, and I think that's only going to grow over time. So, very interested in staying on top of the trends there. Okay, well, well awesome. And um, I, I guess you are. So, are, do you have subscriptions to like Wall Street Journal and maybe The Economist and some of these other news outlets, or you just maybe set up a Google alert and just go by a lot of, a lot some of, of Google the- alerts. <laughs> 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 yeah, we, we need to find a better way, right, to to uh, deliver us that pointed, specific news on a keyword, right? Maybe we can use ChatGPT to do that or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's an amazing tool. I've, I've been playing with it, and it, uh, I, I don't see it replacing me just yet, but, you know, maybe soon. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, it's definitely been truly awesome to have this conversation with you. Uh, I know I learned a, a few nuggets and tidbits of information and best practices around um, object storage and compliance and regulations, a little bit about keeping data secure as well. And before I let you go, I want to mention for all the Gumbo listeners, be sure to go out to LinkedIn and join our Backup and Recovery Professionals group. It has over 25,000 professionals already in the group having great conversations, and it's a pretty active group, which I appreciate everyone who's there. And also don't forget to go to Apple and leave us a review so we can continue to show up here. So John, thank you once again for being a guest on Data Protection Gumbo. 